You know, I, I showed you that video of Suka. You saw some clips um, on it uh, of a bunch of people uh, talking, gathering together. Um, in the mornings, um, from like 9 to noon, uh, you have the opportunity to sit on some, to take uh, two seminars a day. There's a four-day seminar and there's two two-day seminars you get to pick. It's one of the best parts of SUCO. Um, the first summer conference I ever went to uh, was actually in 2013 as a campus minister. Um, and uh, that year I wasn't teaching a seminar. So Megan and I, we got to go and sit in on one. And we decided that we wanted to go to the sex and dating seminar. It was a four-day seminar taught by a campus minister named Jason Sterling uh, at Ole Miss University. Uh, that actually uh, is not being offered this year. Uh, there is a four-day seminar called Sex and Gender, uh, and that one's being taught by a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Matt Terrell, and he does RUF in New York City. Um, I mention this because um, if you were to go to those seminars or if you were to look up Jason Sterling and, or, or Matt Terrell and find their sermons on this topic, uh, they're really, really good. Uh, and they've really sort of shaped my own understanding of what sex is. Um, that might sound strange um, that I've learned what sex is uh, from campus ministers as a married man going to a conference for college students. Um, uh, but the truth is that I never really heard a lot of this stuff growing up. Um, the truth is uh, that there are are a lot of things I didn't know. There are a lot of things that I did uh, that I wish that I could take back. Uh, and there's a lot of pain that I wish uh, I could have avoided uh, that might have been averted. Uh, maybe had I been in sort of frank and honest conversations about some of the things that I hope that we can at least start to talk about tonight. Um, I say all this not to embarrass you. I mean, everything that I say to you tonight is not to embarrass you. It's not to embarrass me. Um, but I say this in order that you recognize, uh, that you realize that the person who's talking to you tonight is someone who's actually a whole lot like you. Um, uh, someone who has himself struggled with this issue of sex uh, and sexuality. Um, someone who made a lot of mistakes uh, in, in his own uh, dating relationship. Uh, if you want to talk to us about ours, we're happy to. Uh, we've. We did some things well and some things not so well, and, and we're happy to talk about that. Um, but if all of that's true of me, so is this. Um, I'm someone who is not perfect, but I know that I have a perfect Savior. Uh, I know that my sins are many, but I know that Jesus died to wash me and to make me whole and clean again. And I have really come to believe uh, that what the Bible has to say about sex and the topic uh, of sexuality is actually a whole lot better than you think it is. Uh, that it is welcomingly and surprisingly good news. And I hope that you leave today uh, with an inkling of that. If you don't feel that already, I hope that I can at least plant that seed. That, you know, what the Bible has to say about this is actually pretty good. Um, Last week, maybe you're here and you're like, "What are we? Why are we talking about sex tonight?" It's not. It just happens that it's Valentine's Day. That was an accident. Um, I do not like. Okay, this is perfect. I've been waiting all year long. Um, that's actually accidental. <laughs> but here we are. 
And, and if you want, there's still some pink cupcakes that you can go and grab and celebrate Valentine's Day with us. Um, the reason why we're talking about it tonight is because we're still hanging with Daniel. And if you recall, we, we met Daniel as a college student. He was there for three years, not four, right? He, he, he went in with some AP credit, so he didn't have to, you know, he was able to do it in three, not four. I'm joking. Okay. Uh, he was there for three years, and we said, let's take three weeks for every year that Daniel's in college to consider some of the ideas that he was really bumping up against. We called it the cultural current or the flow. Right? These were ideas that were swirling around him, right? and that were, uh, while they were very much there, they probably uh, were unquestioned. And because they were unquestioned, they might have been unnoticed, even though they're there. Um, you all are in very much the same sort of scenario right now. Here at college, tons of ideas swirling around you. They're powerful. They're driving. They take you places. How, where uh, are you about some of these ideas? Um, there's an old joke about you know, one fish saying to another, how's the water over there? And the fish looks back to him and says, what the hell's water? Right? Uh, it's, there are things that you, um, that you can live in, can be so apparent to you, and yet you would, uh, you're, not, you're not aware of them. Uh, they're not uh, obvious to you. So what I want to do is I wanted to talk about what is the flow? What is the cultural current here? And last week we looked at uh, happiness and freedom, you know, some ideas about what does it mean to be really happy. I want to talk to you about sex tonight. And the next week we will talk about um, faith and exclusivity, you know, is it okay to, to claim to know the truth or, or to have the truth? Or is that just a very ignorant and arrogant thing to say? We'll, we'll flush that out next week. But tonight, sex, right? What is the culture, culture saying about sex? What does the Bible have to say about sex? Okay, you've got um, before you, uh, I believe, uh, some readings from the scriptures that I want to look at. Amanda's going to throw them up here. Uh, let's go ahead and look at them now. Our first two readings come from an Old Testament book called The Song of Solomon. In chapter 4, we have a man talking about his wife. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Guys, some, <laughs> some good lines here. <laughs> um... Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon, your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Okay. His beloved responds a chapter later. She says of him, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among ten thousand. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves. By the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. 
His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. We jump to the New Testament. Uh, Here we have a letter written to a church in Corinth. Okay. Paul says this, I have the right to do anything, and you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then lastly, from Ephesians. Okay. Same author. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we gather now around your word, I pray you would feed us with it. Help us to taste and see that it's good. Uh, that you are good. Um, help us to see that the the feast that you offer us is much better than a feast we might find elsewhere. Lord, I know that this topic can be a source of uh, embarrassment or shame. Um, I pray it wouldn't. I pray that you would make Jesus beautiful to us, that we would see him as a God who has come to to take away shame and to lead us into life and life everlasting. And so I pray that you would exalt him now, even as we look at this, these texts and we talk about sex tonight. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for controlling that. Have a sip. Um, there's a great uh, section in C.S. Lewis's great book, uh, Mere Christianity, uh, where he invites us to imagine ourselves in a foreign country, um, like a far-off land. Uh, this is a new place for you, right, as you imagine yourself there. Um, you've never been there before, and you're checking things out for the first time. You go for a walk one night. Uh, it's a well-lit street. When you see over, sort of on a, on a block, uh, a street block, a bunch of people who are gathering um, in front of a nightclub, and they're all sort of pouring in. And it piques your interest. 
You're like, what is this popular place? I, I kind of want to see what's inside. So you get inside the line, uh, you wait for a little bit, you finally go inside. Uh, the interior of this nightclub is a lot like um, higher ground here in Burlington. Like, oh, that's not sort of familiar. Right? There's a bar over here, people are getting some drinks. There's a stage over there, has a curtain. There's maybe some tables around the stage. Um, and there's a bunch of lights sort of, you know, um, set up to, to, to cast light uh, on, on the stage. Maybe you go to the bar, you order a drink, but as soon as it reaches your hands, the, the lights begin to dim. And a hush sort of goes to the crowd. Everyone's shh, shh, shh. Right, it's, it's about to start. And everybody sort of leans in towards the stage. All of a sudden, some funky music starts playing. It's kind of goofy, like, boink, 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 right? And a guy, yeah, I know, it's weird. It's a foreign, you know, a guy walks out, and he's got in his hand a plate. Uh, and on this plate is a napkin. And this guy sort of walks out with this plate, does a, does a little stupid dance with it. And he walks towards the stage. And as he gets closer and closer to the stage's end, the crowd is going crazy, right? They're cheering, they're whistling, they're getting super excited. Well, as soon as this man reaches the end of the stage holding this plate, he slowly and somewhat seductively lifts off the napkin to reveal a hot dog with some fries. And the crowd goes crazy. Dollar bills are flying into the air. Women are screaming like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And you're at the back of the bar being like, what is going on? <laughs> like, this is weird. The guy leaves the stage, right? The first guy holding this, this hot dog with, with fries, he, he exits stage right. But another man enters like stage left. And he too, right? Like the first man is holding a plate. And on this plate is also a napkin. And he walks up, right, to that silly music, right, doing his stupid dance, right? And he gets to the front of the stage, and he does just as the first man has done. Slowly, seductively, right, lifting the napkin off the plate, only this time to reveal a bowl of mac and cheese. And the crowd goes crazy, right? More dollar bills, more screaming, more shouting. The guy next to you is about to faint. Well, at this point, you are kind of freaked out, and rightfully so, right? This is not right. This is really, really bizarre, right? The way that this culture relates to food is seriously messed up. But maybe you think, right, being somewhat generous, maybe the reason why they are crazy about food is because there's no food in this country. They just, they don't really see it all that often. These people are starving. But you realize once you step outside of this nightclub that they're not starving at all. Food is everywhere. On this block is a Five Guys. On the next block, there's a Chipotle. Over there is an Applebee's. Over here is an Olive Garden. There are restaurants everywhere, and they're packed, right? People are eating and drinking in all of them. And buses are going by, and there's food, like, emblazoned on the advertisements on all the buses and all the taxi cab, you know, there's advertisements for food and billboards. You're like, these people aren't starving and food is everywhere. The problem is that there isn't any food to satiate their appetite. The problem with this culture 
is that their appetite or their desire for food is out of whack. Their desire is twisted. It's warped. It's not well. I want you to travel back with me back to our culture now. I want you to think about our culture. We have a problem, right, with our culture. We have a problem with the ways we relate to food. Right? That's obviously true. But more significantly, even more striking, right, we have a problem with the ways that we relate to sex. Our desire or our appetite, you could say, for sex has gone horribly wrong. Right? It is out of whack. We are crazy for sex, not because we are starving, not because we never see it and we get excited when we do. On the contrary, we are very much a hypersexualized, sex-saturated people. It is everywhere that we turn. Right? It is on the billboards. It is on our computer screens. It's on the taxi cabs. It's on the buses. Right? It is everywhere. Well, what I want to do tonight is I want to examine the ways that our culture talks about sex and the ways that we think about sex. Uh, I want to submit to you that we have simultaneously too high a view as well as too low a view uh, about sex. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And afterwards, I want to look at what the Bible has to say. And as I mentioned, I think you're going to be surprised by how positive its message is. Uh, you would even call it good news. Right. But first, how does our culture relate to sex? Uh, it's a paradox of sorts. Um, you might call it obsessive ambivalence or even a fanatical yawn. Uh, watching television, uh, reading magazine covers as you wait to check out your groceries uh, at Shaw's or at um, uh, Hanford's, looking at Facebook or Instagram, Snapchat, uh, wherever you turn, the cultural messaging everywhere is this. Not only do you need to be having sex right now, not at large group, but maybe right after. Not only do you need to be having sex right now, uh, and it has to be amazing sex, it's also no big deal. It's super important, right? And yet it's no big deal. Right? We have this incredibly high view of sex as well uh, as this low view. I'll, very briefly, what is this low view uh, about sex that is sort of uh, promulgated by our culture. In an episode uh, of what was once a hit TV show called Friends, uh, one of the main characters, uh, a girl named Monica, she asks, she asks uh, an ex-lover of hers, um, so can we still be friends and have sex? Sure, he replies, it'll be just something we do together, like racquetball. Now in our excellent book, um, Real Sex, which I brought, uh, Lauren Winter, this is a great book. If you haven't read it, you should. Right? Lauren Winter writes that that could be uh, a tagline for our age. Sex, it's just like racquetball. It's no big deal. It's just a game. Uh, Andy Warhol, who was a famous artist uh, uh, in the 60s, he said something similar. He said, sex uh, is the biggest nothing of all time. It's like racquetball. It's not a big deal. It's just something that we do. If it's not uh, just a game, uh, sex is uh, said to be just an appetite. 
If you have a desire to eat, you eat. If you have the desire to sleep, you go to sleep. If you have the desire to have sex, well, you just have sex. Right? No big deal. This is not a new idea. Um, Paul, uh, in his letter to the Corinthian church, uh, is actually quoting pop philosophers of his time who were saying very much the same thing. Right? Food is meant for the stomach, uh, and the stomach is meant for food. It's the very same idea. Right? Sex is just an appetite. It's no big deal. This idea has been around for quite some time. But is it true? Right? Is that a true thing to say? That sex is just a game? Or sex is just an appetite? Is it just something that we do? Is it just something that we consume? Is it the biggest nothing uh, of all time? Or is it something else entirely? Is it something? And is it something special? We'll get to that. But for now, I just want you to see, I just want to see, I just want you to see this one side of the coin, right? On one side is a low view, on the other side is a high view. It's the same coin, but this low view of sex, that it is nothing. Flip it over, and you see that not only is it not nothing, it's everything, right? Woody Allen, the actor, author, filmmaker, had this to say. He said, I don't know what the question is, but I know the answers, or, but I know that sex is the answer. I'll say that again since I screwed up the first time. I don't know what the question is, but I know that sex is the answer. Okay. It doesn't matter um, what the movie is, whether it's American Pie or Sex in the City or even something like The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, it doesn't matter what uh, is on television, whether it's Entourage or Girls or The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. The cultural messaging is the same across all of them. That you need to be having sex right now. Sex is the answer to everything. Sex is the answer to all of life's questions. It is the solution to all of life's problems. If you have a problem, sex is the answer. And if you're not having sex, well, you have a problem. This is the other side of the coin. Again, uh, to quote Lauren Winner, Secular society tells us simultaneously that sex is no big deal and that it's the most important thing in the universe. Sex is so banal and meaningless that we can have random casual sex with our next door neighbor, yet sex is so hugely significant that we can't possibly live without it. This is the flow on this college campus. This is the flow in our country. This is the flow of our culture at large. I simply want to ask you, are you aware of this? Are you caught up in it? As we've talked about all semester long, um, 
Jesus wants us to be salt and light. He says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And in that conversation, Jesus emphasized the importance of us not losing our saltiness. Salt works precisely because it's not like the thing that it's coming into contact with. It's precisely because salt is salt and it's not steak. That when it comes into contact, for example, with steak, that it's able to add flavor and draw flavor out. That it's actually able to prevent it from rotting or or decaying. Um, It's precisely because salt is distinct that it can be a source of healing and renewal. It is the difference that actually makes a difference. Jesus wants us to be in the world... Right, but not of it. To be different, uh, we have said, right, for goodness sake. And in order for that to happen, in order for us to be that, in order for us to, to do that, we actually need to know what the Bible has to say about sex. If we're going to be different at this crucial point, right, we have to have some understanding, not just of what the culture is saying, but what God is saying. Right? And for that, right, we turn uh, to the Bible. Right off the bat, Okay, and we're, we're, we're pivoting here, right? We've talked a little bit about what the culture has to say, right? It's high view, it's low view. But as we pivot towards what the Bible has to say, I want you to hear emphatically, right off the bat, that the Bible says that sex is good. It's good. It's not ugly, it's not nasty, it's not gross, it's not evil, it's good. Just how positively the Bible speaks about sex may shock you and even embarrass you. I mean, as we're reading through uh, Song of Solomon, um, there are passages that make you laugh, right? When you hear a man describe his wife as having uh, hair like a flock of goats, right? Or teeth like a flock of sheep. It's, it was culturally sensitive, right? But what he's doing, right, is he's surveying his wife and he's taking an inventory of her body and he's praising her for her good looks. He's complimenting her hair and her eyes and her lips and her mouth, right? And it's not just the G-rated parts, right? He starts talking about her breasts. In chapter 7, he describes his wife as a palm tree and her breasts as clusters. And then he says, I want to climb up on the tree and take hold of its fruit. I know, right? This is pretty explicit sexual language. And it's, God is happy to have it pretty much in the middle of the Bible, right? Uh, This man is saying to his wife, I love you and I want to enjoy your body. And he's saying this without fear and he's saying it without shame. And his wife, right, the woman says very much the same thing back to him, complimenting him for his wavy hair his eyes, his mouth, his arms, his body. I love you, and I want to enjoy your body too. And she too, right, is saying it without fear, without reservation, right, without shame. Y'all, sex is good. And sex feels good. God created your body uh, to enjoy it. Orgasms feel good for a reason. Right? It's not an accident. They feel good for a reason. Because sex is a good thing that God has made. 
But like most things that are made, there's a right way to use it and a wrong way to use it. All right. Because it is made, because it's designed, there's a right way to use it and there's a wrong way to use it. Last week I uh, talked to you about Henry Ford uh, inventing the automobile. The automobile, it's saying nothing about carbon pollution, right? And fossil fuels. The automobile is an amazing invention. Right? Because of it, we get to see things that you would never see before and experience things you never would experience before. It's pretty incredible. It is a great gift to us right, from Henry Ford. But in order for us to enjoy this gift and to get the most out of it, we need to heed the advice of the inventor. Right? We need to pay attention to the one who designed it. When Henry Ford says, put gas in the gas tank and not orange juice, it's a good idea to listen to that. Right? If you ignore this advice, not only will you ruin the car, right? As I said, you will ruin the orange juice, a perfectly good glass of OJ. Ruined. And a car. Ruined. And you all, sex is a lot like that. It's this amazing thing. It's this amazingly good thing. An incredibly good gift. But there is a design and a designer behind it and if you ignore the design and if you ignore the designer you will screw up sex and you will hurt a lot of people in the process yourself included when it comes to sex the the bible is very clear about this sex is awesome but it is awesome only within the boundaries of marriage it's awesome but it's awesome in the bounds of marriage. That is its proper context, right? Inside this context, right, it works great, glowingly, but outside this context, things begin to fall apart. I want you all um, to think about fire for a moment. Okay, fire is this amazing Uh, and versatile force. Uh, You can use fire to make s'mores. You can use fire to light up a room. You can use fire to create uh, a romantic ambiance inside your home. You can use it to keep warm, etc., etc. In the right settings, in its proper context, which would be a fireplace or a fire pit, right? Fire is good, and it's beautiful, and it's life-giving and life-enhancing. But if you take the fire out of the fireplace and you put it on your couch, or if you take the fire out of the fire pit and you put it on your porch, uh, it's destructive. Right? In its proper context, it's awesome and it's glorious. Out of its proper context, out of, it, out of the boundaries that it was meant for, It is dangerous and it is destructive. And sex works very much the same way. Y'all, sex is made for marriage for at least two reasons. Okay? It's made for marriage because of what it does. And it's made for marriage uh, because of what it says. Um, What does sex do? Sex is this amazing thing that gives pleasure 
but it does for far more than that, and it was intended uh, right for far more than that. Sex is the means that God has given us to make human beings. Let me think about that for a moment. When a man uh, and a woman come together in love uh, and, and have sex, another life is formed. Another human being is created. Like sex creates souls. Eternal souls comes from this physical act, this physical spiritual act. I mean, that's amazing. Sometimes we lose sight of that, right? And because of a lot of sort of uh, birth control things on the market, we can sometimes lose sight of the fact that, yeah, sex is intimately connected to procreation. It always has been, right? That's why you're here. It's because two people loved each other and they had sex. But that's not all, right? Sex is not just for pleasure. It's not just for, for procreation. It's not just for creating souls. It's also for uniting them. Every time you engage in sexual intercourse, it's not just, the, it's not just bodies that are being joined together souls are actually touching and uniting as well every time in that passage that we read um, from 1 Corinthians Paul explains this a little bit he writes do you not know uh, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as it is written the two will become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him We don't really have the time to unpack this. Um, I just want you to see here that Paul, in this passage, is saying that sex is a physical and spiritual act. It's not just two bodies becoming one, kissing, hugging, exchanging fluids. In the act of sex, two souls are engaged. They're becoming one. They're being united. They're being joined together. And this is why there is no such thing as safe sex. There's no such thing. I've had conversations with many of you, many of your friends, right, and Brennan's, talking about this. And say, yeah, I'm having sex, but it's safe. Right? We're using a condom, or she's on the pill. But safe sex is an oxymoron. That's like saying safe dynamite. Right? There's no such thing as safe dynamite. And there's no such thing as safe sex. I don't care if you put a condom on. I don't care if you're on the pill. Every time you engage in sex, you have two souls who are coming together and being joined together. And that is serious, powerfully, that's serious, powerful stuff. And it is awesome, and it is explosive. It's powerful, right? It's anything but safe. This is what sex does. I also said that sex says something or communicates something, and that's why it's meant for marriage, too. Because here's what sex says. All of me is for you, for all of time. That's what the act of sex communicates. It's a movie I can't really recommend, Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. Tom Cruise plays this billionaire playboy. Cameron Cameron Diaz plays his mistress. They're having sex. He's using her. She knows she's being used. And in this tense standoff... um, Uh, She says a lot of stuff that I can't repeat, uh, but she says this, uh, and it's really insightful. 
She says, don't you know that when you sleep with somebody, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Say it again. Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? See, when you engage in sexual activity, your body is making a promise. It's saying, all of me is here for all of you for all of time. And this is what it was designed to communicate. All of me is here for all of you for all of time. And when you realize, wait, if that is what sex communicates, well, of course, right, its only place would be within the bounds of marriage. Because when you marry, you've actually stood before God and your family and your friends and, of course, right, your spouse, and you have declared, I am here for you forever. I am not going anywhere. I will never leave you. All of me is here for all of you for all of time. I will bind myself to you economically, legally, socially, spiritually, across the board, right, to you. When you have sex in marriage, you are ratifying those promises. Every time you have sex in marriage, you are authenticating or confirming that those promises are true. But when you have sex outside of marriage, you are lying. Not, not lying on a bed, not lying on a couch. You're telling a lie. You're saying something that is, that is false. You're saying with your body that you are all there 100% for that person. And that's not true. Because if it was true, you would have bound yourself to that person in marriage. You would have said, I'm, I'm, I, I promise you I will never go anywhere. I will bind myself to you legally, socially, spiritually, etc. But you haven't done that. You haven't, which means that you're holding back something. You're communicating something that is false. This is why when you hook up with somebody and they leave, you feel used. You feel small. Something has been communicated in what you have done, that we belong to each other. And when somebody leaves, it flies in the face of what has actually been communicated. And this is why when dating relationships become physical, it's almost impossible to break up. And it's why when you do break up, it feels like a divorce. Because in some ways, it is. (sighs) Y'all, like I said, this is not something... I've made so many mistakes here. Um... I just need to pause here for a second. I know we're a little over time. Please bear with me. I want to, I'm, I'm almost done. But it's important you hear. Like, this is true. Um, and if you feel convicted by anything I've just said, I want you to know there's a God who loves you, who wants to forgive you, and to restore you. But do you see why the Bible is so strongly against sexual activity outside of marriage? It's not because it's stingy. It's not because it's withholding. It's because he knows that sex is awesome. It's awesome like fire is awesome. It's awesome like dynamite is awesome. In its proper context, it's good. Outside of it, it's destructive. This brings me to my very last point, and I will be brief.
I wanted you to see <laughs> that sex is good. I also want you to see, before we go tonight, what sex points to. What's the point, right? Which is to say, what is sex pointing us to? In a section of scripture we did not read, uh, Genesis 2, we are told that before sin broke into the world, there was, a ta- there was a time when man and woman, Adam and Eve, knew each other and they loved each other without reservation. The Bible says famously, they were naked and not ashamed. This is not simply saying that they were physically naked and they had good body image, right? It's saying that they were naked in every sense of the word. They were physically naked, yes, but emotionally naked, spiritually naked, psychologically naked, relationally naked. They had nothing to hide. They were an open book, and they were okay with being read. There was no shame. There was no fear of rejection. And this is the kind of relationship that they were made for. They were made for this kind of relationship with each other. They were made for this kind of relationship with God. And that is why... And, that, and this is what sex, right, within the confines of marriage, points us to, right? When we undress, when we become naked in marriage before each other, in some ways signifies, it points to this ultimate nakedness. Not just physical nakedness, but spiritual and emotional nakedness. And where we are met not with rejection, but with embrace, right, with love. We deeply long to connect in this way, to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, to bear all and not be rejected, but to be accepted. And you want this so badly. You want this kind of intimacy so much, which is why you want to have sex. But here's the thing. You do not actually need to be married. You don't actually need to have sex to experience this kind of intimacy. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, look, I know this is profoundly mysterious and kind of strange, but marriage, sex, it's ultimately about Christ and his church because Jesus is the ultimate lover of your soul. Jesus is someone who sees all of you, knows everything about you. He knows you inside and out, all the good you have done and all the evil as well. And he says, I love you. And I want to be with you forever all of me for all of you for all of time and sex points us to that reality it gives us a glimpse a little taste of what it is like to be fully naked fully known fully loved by god it is good it is awesome it is special it is significant it's a sign that points us to something great Please pay attention, right, to what the Bible has to say. If you have questions about anything I've said, if you want to challenge me on anything I've said, great. Let's go get popcorn at Brennan's. Let's get ice cream at Ben and Jerry's. Let's hang out. We can talk about this a ton, okay? But hear me as you go. You are, if you follow Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. As you consider sex and your own sexuality, what would it mean for you to be different, for goodness sake? Let's pray.